0: I bet you didn't think that psalm was going to end that way, did you? Like the way that started? Kind of starts out with uh, almost like a spiritual moment, and then all of a sudden it goes with uh, talking about liars and stuff. Like, <laughs> What's going on there? All right, let's get this settled. So today's, uh, today's psalm actually appears, Psalm 63, actually appears in the lectionary. And when it does, it doesn't appear in total. Actually, they snip off those last few verses. So when I say it doesn't quite in the way that you imagined, uh, the lectionary folks, when they were organizing that, uh, looked at it and said, I I don't know if that's what we're gonna include here. They actually only include the first eight verses. And so following our our series, and where we looked at this as being a, a summer playlist, and we think of different tracks, on an album, Uh, Psalm 63, in a lot of ways, in the lectionary version, we might call that the radio version of the psalm. But when we read the entire psalm itself, that's the one with the little warning label on on the front um, as it ends in that that place. It's been edited uh, for uh, human consumption, uh, so to speak, in the lectionary. But either way, uh, long or short, the picture is the same. The song invites us, each one of us, to consider what is most important in life. In fact, what's most important right now is not this state. Remember that. Bunch of years ago, my wife and I were uh, traveling to southern Utah, and we were visiting the national parks along that southern border. And I remember at one particular time, we stopped at Arches National Park, and we paid for one of those ranger uh, tours, where they take you on a particular hike, and we went into what was called the fiery furnace. Has anybody been to the fiery furnace at Arches National Park? Maybe a few folks here. It's not hot. It's not like you're on fire or anything like that in it. Um, but it's it, the way the sun works in it, the way the rock formations work. Uh, you go into the, this place, and it's really quite, quite beautiful. But there's one moment where the where the ranger is near the end of the trip. He's sitting on some of this sandstone, and he just pulls up a seat. So the whole time he's walking with you, but all of a sudden he's seated. In the middle of this sandstone, and he invites us all to come and sit with him. He's like, "Come!" And I remember uh, Ranger Glenn was his name, Glenn with two ends. And and he was he was talking to us before he left. He goes, "I want to I want to share with you something important at this moment." And he talked about how Arches National Park and and particularly maybe even the Fiery Furnace served as a kind of a special place for people. It was a spiritual place where folks would return to. And in their hearts and their minds, they, they would go there once, but then they would say, I need to go back to that place because something special happened there. There was something significant in my life, uh, in that space. And at first it might sound like that's, that's just crazy ranger talk. Like you're just, you're just trying to keep this place open. Right. But in actuality, places like that exist and that, that park and those parks across that area for me personally are, are a special place that I tried to go back to. And that was confirmed when I went back to Zion uh, earlier this year, that it's a special place. And each one of us have places like that in our lives, whether they're they're a geographical space, or maybe it's just a time in your life story that you look back with, with something more than nostalgia. And you say, that was a special place that, that made a, a special impact in my heart. In Celtic spirituality, they would talk about liminal space here. They talk about these places where the space between heaven and earth between God and our story are thin spaces uh, that there's a there's a a transference that happens between those those places. And there's a sense that when you go to those thin spaces, you experience liminal space, you experience a going between a a transport between those places. In everyday spirituality, it's something akin to stepping off of a, a train, or stepping off of a subway, that space between the train itself and the the surface that you now step on that's not the train. And of course they tell you to mind the gap or watch the space when you step those places. So when we come to this psalm, we see a psalmist here who's minding the gap, who's watching that space. This psalmist here has seen and experienced something powerful. We see in the different verses, verse two, the psalmist talks about the sanctuary and the, the experience that this psalmist had with God's presence and power and glory in that space and remembering back to that that space and hearkening back to that time uh, in his life and we know that because the psalm has a superscript that talks about him being in the wilderness at this point so he's he's far removed from that sanctuary space and so he remembers what that was like he talks about in verse 3 God's steadfast love and when we use that type of language we're talking about God's faithfulness where God has made a covenant and is the only one who seems to be keeping that as you read through the Bible the biblical story the other agent in the covenant is us and we oftentimes wander away from that covenant but yet still God remains faithful over and over again and for the psalmist that's a powerful thing a powerful expression that they hearken back to that they remember while they find themselves in the wilderness also talks about times where he's on his bed And he's remembering and recounting and praising God at night and saying these, these, these prayers and offer these praises. And he goes on to offer these expressions with hands and words. The psalmist has seen that space, that place that he go back to and say, there's something powerful in that moment, in those experiences where God was present to them. But where the psalmist finds themselves is in between. They're looking back at those experiences and they're hoping that somehow that power and presence of God would meet them right now, right here, where they find themselves in the wilderness. And I think that's a picture for each one of us. Isn't that a way that we go through our life each day is is we might look back in the past and think, I had a powerful experience at one point where God encountered me or maybe more better said, I encountered the living God and God was present to me And I knew God's glory and God's power, but maybe today as I go to work, I go, I don't know if I sense that or I'm going to school and it feels like I'm just going through mundane activity after activity or I'm out mowing my lawn. I'm like, where's God's glory and power in this? This just seems like the ordinary, the nothing. And so we live in that, we live in that gap, hoping that something powerful would encounter our lives that we might experience Well, of course, in our lives, we have all kinds of weird competing interests that invade our minds and hearts. Advertisers are famous for telling us what we need, right? You just go do any cursory examination of uh, advertising and marketing, and you'll see that there's all kinds of things in our life that we don't have that apparently we need. Apparently, I need a certain kind of car. Apparently, I need a certain kind of sports drink. And I was turned into, I I got to see one, I tuned into one uh, this this last uh, start of summer, uh, when I was down in Waco, Texas, and I went on a uh, VIP tour of the Dr. Pepper factory while I was down there. Now, let's just put this into like total Dr. Pepper nerd level for a second. I was the only one on the tour. <laughs> so I paid the extra for the VIP tour, and it was just me and the, and the person leading the tour. So going around the entire factory. And I got to ask any question I wanted. I got to ask about everything. We went we went through and looked at everything. But during that tour, they talked about a marketing campaign that Dr. Pepper actually held that stems back to the 1920s. In the 1920s, there was a researcher at Columbia University that was doing research on fatigue and the human body. And in their research, they found that our blood sugar levels are at their lowest at 10.30 a.m., 2.30 p.m., and 4.30 p.m. So as they're researching people working in factories and all kinds of things, uh, this person discovered that your blood sugar level is lowest at those points which leaves you of course tired and hungry and ultimately for your employer less productive is what they would assume there. Uh, Guess what, you can market that, right? That knowledge, you can market that, and Dr. Pepper did. They came out with a campaign that was called the 10-2-4 campaign. And here's how it works. Consumers were encouraged to drink a Dr. Pepper at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. to counteract the change in blood sugar levels. I don't think that's gonna sell these days. Right? When I go around the store looking for the Kool-Aid section and I can't find it, right? That tells me that's probably not going to sell at this time. The diminishing, the shrinking soda aisle, um, that doesn't work now. But guess what? It worked back then. And people in factories were buying it. They're drinking Dr. Pepper three times a day. And as we entered World War II, so later on as we entered World War II, Dr. Pepper went back and was able to show that their product was indispensable for providing energy to factory workers and soldiers which allowed them to keep their sugar ration. Marketers have a way of telling us what we need, even if we probably don't need it. They can convince us of those things. Of course, blood sugar is one thing. Thirst is another. Our psalmist here is gonna address the issue of thirst when you find yourself in the desert, when you find yourself in that wilderness where there's no, there's no water to satisfy the thirst. And, and maybe you've had that, that sense where you've gone out Uh, and you've been so thirsty that a little drop of water is not going to satisfy just gulps and you're you're desperate for it and and your body starts to freak out because you need that and you find yourself in that space where you don't have it and that psalmist is drawing to that picture but even more to a deeper level of the absolute need for water not kind of some sort of plastic artificial sports drink or soda that sort of thing but at the very core need and for this psalmist, the core need here for them is God's presence over everything. God's presence and power, God's glory present in their life is indispensable. And not just in a future-seeking after kind of way. It's not us looking to the future and hoping God in the end it all works out. That's not what the psalmist is talking about. It's not in a way that says, oh, you know, it just, just offer me kind of hallmark pleasantries around my life. That's not what they're talking about. The psalmist is talking about very real experience of their life right now, right here, that God's presence can be powerful in the moment that we live in today. Again, not looking to the future and not becoming too nostalgic about the past, but calling on God to live here in this moment. Augustine, of course, writes at the beginning of the confessions: our heart is restless until it rest in you. And modern-day Augustinians would talk about that restlessness is not something that's satisfied in one moment but it's a lifetime of, of living in the presence of God and seeking after God that that restlessness it pops its head up it's like those little whack-a-moles right the restlessness comes up in our life over and over and over again and they would say over a lifetime we develop and we grow and we discipline no restless hearts are contended with of course over a lifetime discipleship very much is in view there Many years ago, I was in a uh, college class where we had to write a discipleship program. It had to be like a six-week program. And so we were working in groups of folks and we had to write these. And I remember we labeled ours or that we named it and titled it Destination Discipleship. That was the name, and that got kind of cool. Like these, Destination Discipleship. Yeah, it was the nineties. All right, so <laughs> it was like, yeah, we got this thing, but that was all wrong. I had it all wrong and our group had it wrong. That discipleship's not a destination. It's a journey, it's a process, it's a following after. It's Jesus calling us to follow after Christ and so we follow Jesus and like we read in the book of Acts people from afar look at you and say look at those little Jesuses right they call you Christians and Jesus imitators it's over a process yesterday we had the honor of, of remembering a life and w- the witness of Gloria Lomax here on our campus there's a lot of people here uh, in that uh, in that memorial celebrating and giving witness to uh, Gloria's life and the gift of God's uh, giving of life to all of us but also particularly to Gloria and Lena Thompson the minister over at Lake Birien uh, she was preaching the homily and she drew drew back on a Eugene Peterson uh, it's actually the title of, of a book it's The Long Obedience in the Same Direction as kind of this expression as we think about what does it mean to live the Christian life well to live in that, that sense it's, it's, it's a following after it's, it's pursuing in a course and that's where the psalmist is is drawing back to seeing their life as a course looking back at the past seeing how that names for them in the present what they can expect to see from a covenant faithful god and then looking to the future and seeing change and solutions to situations that they find themselves in that all sounds to me i don't know about you but that sounds to me like something i want to be part of that's the type of expression that i want to have my life reflect And I want to see the issues that I confront and there are many and we all have many issues that we face that we contend in life to recognize that in that process of following Christ in that process of being in God's God's presence to see God's glory and power amidst the challenges of living and comforting and offering care to aging parents to offering care to children and grandchildren who who are with you to talking to your neighbor to determining whether or not Uh, you're in the right place to retire from your job or to consider getting a different job all these things that kind of come up in life let alone health challenges financial challenges living situations even fears for the future that God holds us in the midst of all those different places that God is even more faithful than our obedience demonstrates so my question is here for us this morning as we kind of as I, I as I conclude here is we think about this longing of the psalmist. Is that us? Do we have these kind of longings as a church or as individuals here who who've come here this morning is, are these the kind of things that define who we are as people? Is this who you want to be like this psalmist here? Challenge that we face in Western culture, and it's not going to be one that's unfamiliar to you. You're going to know this right away, but we oftentimes begin to look like the things that are our passions and our pursuits. You don't just look like your dog, you also look like the things that you count as being important to you. In our adolescence, what happens is we oftentimes take on a character of who we wanna be. You think about our identity formation in there, and it, maybe I wanna take on the image of a soccer player, so I start wearing soccer clothing all the time. And I hang out with the soccer folks, and I, and I watch soccer, and I talk soccer, and, and that's my identity but then I might try on a different hat or a different mask and say, I'm going to be this other person. And I begin to look differently. And, and I follow, I follow, find myself in groups that that look the way that I want to look, but that doesn't just change for us in our teen years, through the rest of our lives, we wrestle and we ask ourselves, do I want to keep wearing that identity? And particularly when we think about faith and the identity of being one who's found in Christ, and the identity of being one who is an image bearer of God who actively pursues the living God we have all kinds of things that bombard us and challenge us and try to compete for our attention Amanda Benchoisen who's a professor of Old Testament at Calvin Theological Seminary she writes this she says in North America one dominant feature of our culture which has significant influence over what we love is consumer capitalism and the values expectations and practices associated with it In such a system, human beings receive their value from their participation in a system of production and consumption. People are assessed for what they contribute to the economy, either by making money or spending it. It is a script, a liturgy even, that many of us participate in without a second thought. And it is this liturgy that directs our desires and shapes our loves to constantly want more. But here's the thing. Is the thing that we're wanting even worth having? The psalmist would say to us, like he said from the outset, deals with the things that are most important in life. And there's nothing more important in this life than finding one's identity, finding one's purpose, finding one's relationship with their loving creator who's reaching out to you this morning and saying, I love you, and I want to embrace you, to hold you in a hug that is faithful and life giving. Will we lean into that? Will that be what we lean into? I said before that this passage finds itself in the lectionary. And when it does, it, it appears during the season of Lent. And I, don't, I know during the season of Lent, lots of times we're beating ourselves up and saying, Am I good enough? Have I done it right? I need to get back. I need to get back to basics. I need to get back to what's important. I need to become the person God wants me to be. But I want you to scrub that part from your brain, if that's in your brain, and I want you instead to see that when we talk about God's presence, power, and glory, that's not the goal. That's the gift. That God gives it to us freely. That God has made a way that we might enjoy God's presence. And what a gift it is. Drawing back on our our poet in closing here, Malcolm Guyton who has walked with us throughout this series, this is how he reflects on this song. Guide says, for loveless time to eternity, kisses each passing moment into life, gives us a glimpse of your unfading glory. We fall away like every falling leaf, but even as we fall, we yearn for you. Our prayers are passing and our blessings brief. Yet each one reaches deeply into you, for you yourself are reaching into us to breathe your life in us and make us new. The barren wasteland is made glorious with blossoms, breathing eternal spring. And even as this first world fades from us, we step into the true world and we sing a joyful song. For there at last we see our heart's desire, our risen Lord and King. Friends, may that be our desire today and every day of our lives in this generation and in every generation. Amen. Friends, let us pray together.